0: Uh, Are beginning our monthly uh, rhythm now of featuring a ministry or a mission that we support and partner with to sort of spotlight them. And so this month we're talking about Alive and Well, uh, a partner of ours uh, that we believe in. I think it's important that today our kids learn how to make effective, positive decisions for their life, uh, to talk about things that are not being talked about, talk about what it means to be abstinent, talk about how we deal with our emotions. And so we're grateful to be a part of them. Uh, they're going to be in the, the, the lobby after service here today, so you can get to know more about them. But what we are doing th- with this rhythm is, is every group that we feature at the beginning of the month, we will send 10% of our tithe to them in that organization. So uh, we're taking a risk. We're taking a leap of faith to give, faith of, to give more than what makes sense. That's our value. And so uh, we're appreciative of Alive and Well. Is Wendy and uh, Gavin here somewhere, or are they out? Okay, Wendy, there's Gavin. So Gavin, if you don't know, is our youth pastor here. He is, uh, he is also, You can come up here. He's also joining the team here to go into the schools and teach this curriculum uh, because he's really cool, right? And it's needed. So we're just going to take a moment. We're going to pray over them, and then we'll head into more parts. Father, we just... Uh, We thank you for partners like this. We thank you for their passion and their desire. We thank you of their desire to uphold truth and love children and teens just where they're at. And so, God, give them wisdom, give them boldness, give them confidence, give them resources. Let their efforts be multiplied in your name. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your amazing name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. Well, welcome to Life Community Church. We're glad that you're here. Uh, We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ, and we strive to do that through four particular values, by practicing love with everyone always, by giving more than makes sense, by chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and by anchoring ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's word. That's who we are. That's who we want to be. If you're new here, we'd love to get to know you. You can simply text the word HELLO to our church landline, 824-2252, and we'll just send you a little information about our church. If you're a regular attender here and like to stay in the know of what we're doing, you can just text 411 to that same number, and we'll update you of the things that are going on here. Just a couple announcements for you. If your kid is going to summer camp, whether it's a high schooler or a middle schooler, there's a meeting at, right after church today at noon, uh, and if you're a parent of those kids, you, you need to be in those meetings, whether you're going or just wondering if this is something for us so so note that and then secondly next week we start our volunteer fair where we are trying to build up our teams as we return back to normalcy here Uh, so pay attention that'll be in the the lobby the next three weeks so you can learn how you can be a part of this church and serve in deeper ways if you're a kid here you're glad you're here got five words for you today that i may get to we'll see if i don't get them all let me know you can tell me But the words that I want you to hear today are lordship, consumer, impulse, miserable, and sacrifice. Okay, you have those in your little packets. You can talk to your parents about what those mean. And so let's head into our word today. We'll be in 1 Kings chapter 22, and then we'll flip over to Romans chapter 12 eventually. So 1 Kings chapter 22, it'll be on the screen. You're welcome to join us in your Bibles as well. We'll read this together. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said this to Jehoshaphat. Will you go with me to battle Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. And then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, all about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead? Or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hands of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this week, uh, knowing that in this week, Lord, that we have fallen short in many different ways of upholding you, of loving you so, Lord, we just ask collectively for your forgiveness and your mercy today and let us re- delight and be renewed in the grace that you give us every moment of our lives to walk closer to you, that you are constantly inviting us to, into your presence. May we take that seriously in our faith. Let your word be sufficient. Let its truth be convicting and bring joy to our lives. Or work in the spaces that we need to be smoothed over. We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So here's the big idea that we are going to kind of work towards today, the sort of thrust of the message. Uh, A battle is being waged over the central elements of our faith. And it's not—it's out there in the world and here amongst the church and in us as God's people. Let me say that again. A battle is being waged over the central elements of our faith. It is out there in the world and here amongst the church and in us as God's people. And that may sound scary or doomy, uh, but I'm telling you, there is infinite joy to be found in knowing and discovering that. The, the kingdom of Israel is divided in this time of 1 Kings into two different halves. There's the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. King Jehoshaphat, which is a great name, like if you've ever heard of Jumpin' Jehoshaphat, that's where that comes from. It's actually from a story in 2 Chronicles 20 where Jehoshaphat goes to war against many nations, and the Lord says, I'm going to deliver this to you. All you do is just be still. And so Jehoshaphat organized men to sing and dances, and everybody was destroyed. They fought each other and killed each other, and that's where the name Je- Jumpin' Jehoshaphat came from because he just jumped in delight and did nothing. And so Jehoshaphat is maybe a, a common word that we don't know how it got into our lexicon, but that's why. And so Jehoshaphat's in the south, Ahab is in the north. The scripture talks about King Ahab. He's not a good dude. The scripture says that King Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord, that there there was none before him who were as wicked as he was. He was not a good king. And Jehoshaphat here is pursuing peace with his counterpart in this divided kingdom. He's coming to him and he's saying, I am... Yours, my people, your people. He's offering reconciliation. He's trying to bring a divided nation together. Ahab wants to go to war with Syria to regain a city that they felt was promised to them in Ramoth Gilead from a previous battle in which they defeated the Syrians. And Jehoshaphat was willing to join in that battle, but he wasn't willing to unite with him if it didn't make sense in the presence of God. And so he requests that King. Ahab sent the prophets. He wanted it to bring it to the Lord. And it certainly seems like this Jehoshaphat guy had a really good father who brought him up, a certain king by the name of Asa. So I kind of like those Asa guys a little bit. If you're new here, my, my, my son's name is Asa. He's a good dude. Maybe I can, we'll talk as we maybe Jehoshaphat will kind of come into style when he's old and having kids and he can name his kid Jehoshaphat, who knows. Inquire first with the Lord, is what Jehoshaphat said. Inquire. And in front of him gather 400 prophets from around the area, 400 men who say to King Ahab, you got this. Like the Lord is going to give it to you. It's in your hands. All four of them, you simultaneously in step with one another. But Jehoshaphat, he is not having it. He's suspicious of what's going on. He knows that there was a prophet by another name that wasn't there. And he inquires about him. And Ahab knows exactly who he's talking about. He's talking about Micaiah, son of Imlah. And so Ahab summons Micaiah from the prison that he put him in and he summons him into his presence and notice what Ahab says about Micaiah he says I hate him I I hate him and why does he hate him he hates him because he never prophesies good over him but only evil onto him and the evil that Ahab accuses Micaiah of speaking is not, in fact, evil. Ahab doesn't want to hear the truth that Micaiah is bringing to him. It's not what he wants to hear, and that's why it's evil. And somehow he's earned favor with 400 prophets who have seemingly pledged allegiance to him and maybe it's due to his sincere but shallow repentance three years earlier or simply because they wanted to follow power. But all of them are willing to prophesy lies to the king so he can hear what he wants to hear. Micaiah would not tell Ahab what he wanted to hear. And he was struck in his presence and thrown back into prison. But the word records that everything that Micaiah prophesied happened. Everything that he predicted happened, including the death of King Ahab. Mike Micaiah wouldn't budge. Certainly, we would love to consider ourselves to be like King Jehoshaphat, to have that sort of virtue, And there are certainly moments in our lives where we do, that we bring, honestly, we bring our cause to the Lord, we bring our desires to the Lord. We seek His Word first, and we're thankful for His grace and His mercy through Christ that allows us to keep coming back, that that God continually, through Christ, invites us into His presence. There is a sobering truth to know that on our own, That will never be our natural inclination. Worship, submission, joy in God, through God, is not the fundamental bend of our hearts. Paul writes in Romans that the carnal mind, the worldly mind, the fleshly mind, is at enmity with God. It rejects God. It hates God. It hates its word. In Colossians, Paul says, without Christ, we are alienated. Enemies of God. We are at odds with God. We are more like Ahab than we are like Jehoshaphat. We tend to make shallow commitments to the Lord but govern ourselves the way we see fit. And we surround ourselves with the voices of those who will confirm and reiterate exactly what we want to hear. And so with grace and mercy and love, all that I can muster in my heart, I convey to you today is that we don't want to hear God's word and truth because we like our own too much. But more than that, we don't even really know what we want and why we want it or why we don't want or dislike what we dislike. In some ways, we are just naive, acting with good intentions through impulses. And we have centered ourselves in ways that are destructive. We've been taken to places and in, in postures that aren't for our good. Our brokenness in this fallen creation that we find in Genesis 3, when sin and death entered into a perfect, harmonious world, leads us to a natural position and disposition where we are consumed with ourselves. And we don't see what God says as good and right and flourishing as it truly is. We don't see it that way. We see it as evil because it's not what I want in my flesh. And in the consumption of ourselves, we've become greedy. And humanity has learned in our greed how to change, how to leverage, and how to influence a broken, lacking, and confused creation to get what they want. We have learned how to manipulate brokenness for our benefit but we don't see it. So let me explain it to you this way. There was an article written in July of last year by a group called McKinsey & Company called Understanding and Shaping Consumer Behavior in the Next Normal. McKinsey & Company is a marketing and sales group that helps businesses strategize how to gain value and growth, and the content of this article was around the fact that consumer beliefs and behaviors are changing fast, And for companies to keep up with it, or perhaps influence it, to influence those changes, companies must leverage deep consumer insights. So here's what they're saying. I don't know if you're picking up on this. If you're a business, if you're a corporation, if you're a salesperson, and you want to grow your company, you've got to learn the insights of people's behaviors, their new wants, their new actions in this COVID environment, so that you can meet them there and change their habits, and their behaviors. Leverage those moments for your benefit so you can be successful. Do you hear that? Market to people by learning their behaviors so that you can change their behaviors and their habits so you can stay successful. The article goes on to say that behavioral science tells us that identifying consumers' new beliefs and habits and peak moments. Peak moments are these fixed moments in time with strong, positive memories like weddings and summoning a mountain and other things. If you can figure out what makes people feel good and get there and enter into that space with your product and associate your product with that peak moment, you can change their behavior to want your thing and they list five behaviors, five actions that companies can use to influence consumer behavior in the long term. Reinforce positive new beliefs. Sounds like training a puppy. Shape emerging habits with new offerings. Sustain new habits with contextual clues. And here's what that means. This is what they said. This is in the article. Some companies may need to identify and create new contextual clues. Before the the COVID-19 crisis, a contextual clue for chewing gum consumption was the association of social interaction. For instance, before going to a club, while commuting to work, after smoking. As social occasions have waned during the pandemic, a chewing gum manufacturer must look for new contextual clues, focusing largely on solo and small group activities such as gaming and crafting. Gum manufacturers could consider designing packaging, flavors, and communication that reinforce those new associations. So make them know that they need it by displaying, communicating, and marketing to the environments that you want people to associate with your product. The list goes on and on. Align messages with consumer mindsets. Analyze consumer beliefs and behaviors at the granular level, which means study people's behavior at the micro level so you know how to leverage them. And the the, the article ends with, habits can form when consumers begin to associate certain behaviors with particular context. Eventually, that behavior becomes automatic. Does that feel like you're being manipulated in some ways? And it's not only that marketing firms are trying to change our habits and our behaviors for their profits, things that become trendy and popular in culture are changing the way that we live. Consider this, like in 1994, Home Depot's net sales were $12.4 million. In 2018, their net sales were $108 billion. That's an 8,000 times increase. Do you know what was introduced into pop culture in 1994? HGTV. If I was 39 in 1986, there would have been no way that one, I believed that I needed to change my dressing room into a bathroom. Number two, that I could do it myself. And number three is that I literally could do it in a weekend. Are you getting the picture here? We are being manipulated in ways that we don't really know. It makes me think of a quote by Margaret Thatcher who's rephrasing an old Taoist philosopher named Lao Tzu. And she said, watch your behaviors for they become your words. Watch your words for they become your actions. Watch your actions for they become habits. Watch your habits for they become your character and watch your character for it becomes your destiny. What we think we become. My father always said that to me. Do you know who else is watching you? Do you know who else is studying your words and your thoughts? It's not just you. Our culture is working not only just to change what we want or how we behave because they're greedy and broken, but they're compelling to us fundamentally different reasons about who we are. My heart broke this week. Grieved in a conversation to hear about a beautiful 10-year-old boy who has somehow been convinced that he needs at 10 years old to make a decision on his gender. And my heart breaks to watch people think that they need to figure out their sexuality to really know their identity. I grieve people who think they're being true to themselves but are products of what popular culture tells them to be. And it's heartbreaking. Let me put it this way. If you grew up in Great Britain in the medieval times in the 400 ADs to the great Anglo-Saxons, you would have grown up in a warrior culture. And if you were a young boy and you showed aggression, you would have been applauded for that aggression. You would have been esteemed for that aggression. You would have said, that's a good lad. And you would have been grown up being confirmed in an aggression to the place that if people came along on your path and they crossed you and they were cruel to you and they were rude to you, it was well within your right to kill them. Aggression was celebrated. Today, if you brought aggression into your workplace, if you brought aggression into your school, if you brought aggression into your family, you'd go somewhere to deal with that. And if you didn't, you'd be put in jail. And there is no honor or justification in murder at all at any level. Or even in the old days of Hinduism, which was an honor culture, you would be, as a husband, completely justified and applauded if one of your sons and daughters or your wife brought shame onto your family, disgrace onto your family, you would be justified in killing them to maintain the honor of your name and your family, to preserve it. But we would never allow that here today. But yet it's still happening in places like Pakistan. We are in some ways products of our surroundings, products of the marketplace, of what people want us to tell us, of what is popular and trendy, what feels good, what creates peak moments in our lives. And listen, don't hear me belittle Real internal struggles of people's identity and desires, those are very real and hard, and we walk with humility and grace and love into those things, but I want you to hear me this in this. Not only is there 400 people who surround you who are willing to tell you what you want to hear, there are 400 or more behind the scenes trying to tell you what you want, what you need, and compel to you simply who you really are and i'm not even touching on technology and social media that has changed the way that we live and think there is a world full of voices that are talking to us telling us what we want and how we should think but there is one voice of god and maybe this is heavy for you it's heavy for me but hear me believer we do not fear What is external? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We do not fear the world or what's out there. God tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We can stand confident in faith. But friends, we need to be careful about letting the world transform our faith. Because the danger isn't in an insufficient world. The danger comes from an insufficient gospel. It's, it's in us, it's here, it's in our faith. Our greatest enemy is incomplete truth. Truth that tickles our ears and gives us what we want. Kevin DeYoung, who's a pastor, a professor, and an author, he said this in a recent article. He said, shallow Christianity will not last in the coming generations, and it will not grow. Cultural Christianity is fading the church in the 21st century must go big on truth or go home. Listen, there is more hope in this moment today than there's ever been. And there is more grace right here, right now, than there's ever been in the history of the world. And in this moment, there's no less joy to be found than right now. God's word, God's heart, God's desire is for us to flourish And his truth is better than anything that we could imagine or conjure up ourselves if we would just listen to it. If we would teach it fully and wholly and we would pray that God would give us ears to hear it. It will be for our joy and for his glory. In Romans 12, which will be the center of our new series that we're walking through. Romans 12 talks about being a living sacrifice and we'll read this together in verse 1. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God is saying, Is what is best for us is to actually lay down our whole lives as a sacrifice. To strip ourselves of our desires, of our wants, of our preferences, of our power, of our structures, of our status, of our lowliness, and be a living sacrifice that identity and purpose and calling and cause and joy and flourishing will be found as we make ourselves small and let God be as big as he really is in our lives. That we would trust him, that we would love him, that we would lean on him and not on ourselves. Listen, we don't want to hear that that is hard to hear because it is costly. Augustine once said that Jesus Christ is not valued at all until he's valued above all. So listen, we need to have a conversation because we are entering in, if not already there, the last gasp of evangelicalism within this culture. And I'm not saying that to be a doomer, but the American social religion, Christianity that we know, that experiment is coming to an end. And if you haven't felt that pressure yet, you will. The church as we have known it is fading away and it has been in steady decline for a while. And I believe the many pastors who have said that we're going to ride this ship to the bottom over the next 20 and 30 years. That means this, is that people are going to wash out of the church because it's going to be too hard to stay. And listen, It will be for our good. And it will come back more beautiful than it began. We will be refined because we will have to answer the question, do I really believe this? And those that do will find a community of people that will bring life and flourishing to their heart, and the world will come to know God in greater capacity because of our love for one another. So listen, I don't want to scare you. This isn't scary. We're okay. We stand on the solid rock of Christ our Lord. But we need to talk. Because our culture that is driven for success and relevancy and greatness has crept into our church and we have become like the world to reach the world. But we're better than the world. Jesus is better than the world. And in becoming like the world to reach the world, we have morphed the church into a type of cruise ship that keeps us and others entertained and interested and focused on themselves, never realizing that it's slipping below the surface. There have been ways that the world has crept into our faith that has redefined it, that has changed what is at the center of our faith, at the center of our church life, and those are tensions that we need to talk about. Those are tensions that we need to battle, think about, reflect about. So here are these tensions that we're going to walk through over the next five weeks or so. Tensions that we are going to have to learn to manage. Is my faith, is my church life centered on worship? Is it giving God His due? Is it giving what belongs to Him to Him? And considering His grace and His mercy for us, our whole life is worship. All that we do is worship. Or is my faith centered on experience? Experiences. What can God bring to me? How do I feel when I walk into a church? Did he say something funny and kind? Was he relevant for me? My faith is low, so I need to go on another mission trip so I can get close to God. This is a tension between worship and experiences. Do I walk faithfully and come to church out of obedience? Or is it simply because it's a habit that I've done forever, that my parents did and they did and we just do it. Is my church life, my faith, about rest in a loving Savior? Is He a harbor for my life? Or do I want to use the church in Him to build walls and fortresses around me so I don't have to deal with the world, that I can protect myself and feel safe? Is it about discipleship Or I'm growing in that I'm decreasing as God increases in my life? Or is it about training? Teaching me through scripture how to live more meaningful lives, have better marriages, or even that my kids get trained a little. Because a little God in their life is not a bad thing. And lastly, do we see the people of faith, God's people, as a body? an eye, a toe, an ear, a head, all these beautiful gifts gathered in one vessel under the submission and the banner of Jesus Christ, or do I see God's people as my allies that strengthen my position and back my opinions? Friends, we must manage these tensions as we go forward. And I will tell you, All of the things on the right side of the screen are things that you will find anywhere in the world. The things that you see on the left, they are commissioned for the church, for his faithful, where he is the center of the matter. These are the things that we must talk about today. These are the things that we must reflect about today going forward. And we're going to spend the next few weeks really focusing and reflecting on these tensions separately. And so this is the big idea to remember today. And it isn't scary. There is a battle being waged for the center, central elements of our faith. It's out there in the world. It's in here amongst the church. And it's us and us as God's people. The problem isn't an insufficient world. It's through an insufficient gospel. So let us take the next few weeks to recenter, reimagine, recenter our roots of faith in our church life. But in this moment, let us gladly come to a time where we reflect and remember Christ's atoning work and sacrifice as we come around the table of communion. It is because of the risen Christ that we can gather here today as a body of broken but hopeful people who seek to love what he loved, to live how he lived do what he taught to strive to be faithful servants in this our time and place and so in this meal of communion remember jesus we remember his promises the price that he paid who he was what he said what he did on the night before he died jesus took the loaf of bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and said take and eat whatever you do whenever you do this remember me and after supper jesus took the cup and poured out saying, this is the new covenant, remember me. So today we do remember. We remember his love, his friendship, his teaching, his dying, his rising, and his ascension. And in sharing this meal together, we publicly are making this profession. That Christ has died, Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. The body of Christ, the bread of life, is represented in the cracker. The lifeblood of Christ, the blood of offering of blessing. The cup of blessing is represented in the juice. These are the gifts of God for God's people. And we are thankful for these gifts. So if you're in here today and you're faithful and you're in the family of God, you are welcome to the table. And So let us spend a few moments as the band begins to play, to reflect and seek forgiveness in the places that we need to. And when you're ready, whenever you see fit, as this song plays, partake the elements.